Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. For all you elk hunters out there, Chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A new study from researchers at the University of California has found that lab-grown meat could produce between 4 and 25 times more atmospheric carbon dioxide than meat grown by traditional methods, also known as just meat, just, just meat. Reduced carbon emissions are one of the main selling points of lab-grown meat, Doing away with millions of farting cows by growing meat in a sterile lab environment must mean less carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, right? Not according to this particular study. To grow meat in a lab, you need a growth medium, but this medium must first be refined to eliminate endotoxins that can inhibit cell growth. These researchers claim that this refinement process produces far more CO2 emissions than has previously been acknowledged. They estimate that current refinement processes produce between 542 pounds and 3,325 pounds of CO2 per kilogram of lab-grown meat. Now, if that doesn't mean anything to you, there's roughly 2.2 pounds per kilogram, so you're exchanging 2.2 pounds of lab-grown meat substitute for somewhere between 542 pounds and 3,325 pounds of CO2. Whereas regular meat produces 36 kilograms of CO2 per kilogram of regular meat. That data, mind you, is from ourworldindata.org. Now, I should note that this particular study that we've referenced has not yet been peer-reviewed. It's been submitted to a journal and published online, but the study has not been subject to criticism from other scientists yet. Reading between the lines, there also appears to be some disagreement about exactly how much CO2 is produced by the medium refinement process. Still, I think these researchers are asking an important question. There are costs to every benefit. 
Lab-grown meat seems like it would reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but there may be hidden costs and unintended consequences most people don't think about. You know, very, very similar to electric vehicles. The end product, sure, but getting to that end product has a heck of a cost associated with it. Starting out heavy on the Week in Review. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? This week, we've got SCOTUS, WOTUS, the crime desk, and crossing corners. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was a whole lot of fun. I loaded the dogs up into the Black Series, hit the road in an attempt to fill my last three turkey tags before the season ended, along with the month of May. As I've said before, hunting turkeys with the dogs is almost equal parts fun and frustrating. All of the uncontrollable dog movements are easily picked up by the keen periscope of the Tom Turkey especially one that has been hunted for over a month at this point. Wary, wary birds the last week of the season here in Montana. However, with my newly run over shotgun, I was able to bag a big bird. I intercepted on his way back to the roost. Not the way I like to do it, but it was all the schedule would allow, and Montana is a big state. In order to harvest all the birds available in the spring, you must cover hundreds of miles going from region to region to region where the tags are available, which takes a lot of time. Our next tag and challenge lay in a heavily populated area of the state inhabited by a strong population of turkeys and unfortunately turkey hunters. After identifying some areas on the Olon X, the dogs and I took a long hike off a steep mountain and attempted to call two toms off of private land. It was no fun and there were no gobbles after the fly down kind of opening sequence. So back up the mountain and on to the next stop. We hiked a small hill, found fresh turkey poop, and my spirits lifted. Just until Snort, being the bird dog she is, found the hen turkey and sent her god knows how far down the mountain across a river. Anyway, no gobbles the next morning, but we did call in a bearded hen, which is legal to kill in this particular region. Yes, if it meant meat on the table versus none, I would happily kill a tom out of a tree, but I just can't kill a hen. That's like killing 16 turkeys. Upon packing up and scratching my head as to where the next option is, I realized that I hadn't tempted fate enough in this location. So I pulled over at the next wide spot on the map, grabbed diaphragm call, the dogs, and not my shotgun or my boots, and headed up the trail in my flops, or, uh, you know, slippers, if you prefer. Sometimes you have to tempt fate. I think you probably know what I'm talking about here. You have to put yourself in a stupid enough situation that you dare the hunting gods to put their thumb or spurs in your eye. Was that a gobble? The dogs looked in the same direction up the trail. We advanced to a small opening about 75 yards across and... Equal parts elation and depression. As I know, I have to now run the mile or so back to the truck to get the rest of my garb. As you diehard turkey hunters know, locating with a diaphragm is not the best option. You can strike a hot bird that cools off very quickly if left unattended, wondering what the hell happened to that hen as you, you know, get your situation in order. But that's what I did. Now, huffing and puffing in the hot sun of the now early afternoon, I grab my highly experimental FHF turkey pack, shotgun, and decoy, stare at my boots, and think, better not. You have a three o'clock meeting you have to be on and being overly serious, hasn't been working. So back up the trail we go, free-towing it, as it were, 
all the way to the little picturesque meadow where the turkey had been. It is now hot, still, and silent, which I knew would happen. And being as I was naked from the ankles down, I should turn back for the truck, right? Unless I went a little further and higher onto the ridge and into the next saddle, which I made just 20 minutes late for my 3 p.m. meeting. But there were two bars of reception on this ridge. 30 minutes later, about to wrap up my work call, two bighorn sheep walked into my meeting space, oblivious to my impromptu office situation. 10 minutes later, we were back on the hunt. Off the ridge, out of cell reception, that glorious dead spot of not being bothered, we worked into the next little mountain meadow, quietly approaching in my slippers, and let out a casual hen, kind of on the mosey type of call sequence. A little smash, smash, Two birds, and they were coming our way. I got the dogs hidden, I staked a decoy on the little knob that we were on, slid into position on a tree, and over the next two hours, the birds worked in really tight, then wandered away, and then really tight, and then wandered away on three different occasions. They do not trust us. So I made the decision to aggressively cut the distance the next time I hear the gobbles wander off, which is always a risky call. In fact, it flies right in the face of my favorite turkey hunting saying, which is, of course, you kill them with your ass, not your feet. But the dogs and I moved up quick, and as luck would have it, the Thomases were still talking to each other. We pushed right up to the edge of this little ridge, let out one little yelp. It was as inquisitive a yelp as I could make. Like, you boys still here? Instantly, two red heads appear, and only one ran away. On a whim and test of fate, we struck the birds at 12.30, and we were plucked and packed and gutted and heading slowly down the sheep trail to the truck by 6 p.m. Only one tag to go before turkey season ends. Moving on to the legal desk. By now, you've probably heard about the Supreme Court ruling that significantly reduced protections for wetlands in the United States. The court ruled unanimously that the land belonging to the plaintiffs in this case does not include federally protected waterways. However, and this is a big however, they disagreed on what kinds of wetlands should receive federal protection through a permitting process overseen by the Environmental Protection Agency. As with most Supreme Court cases, this one gets into the weeds, or in this case, the cattails, but I'll do my best to hit the highlights. Under the Clean Water Act, the federal government has jurisdiction to regulate waters of the United States, or WOTUS. The controversy stems from disagreement about what is and what isn't a water of the United States. According to Congress, navigable waterways at the time of statehood are considered waters of the U.S. Nearly everything else is up in the air. In practice, this means that landowners and developers who have to apply for permits if they want to dredge or fill in these waters or put in drain tile, that sort of nonsense, which is a headache for those folks, and sometimes their permits are rejected. But I don't think anyone can deny that the Clean Water Act has been a huge benefit to everything that relies on clean water to survive, which, as it turns out, is everything. In this latest ruling, the Supreme Court tried to define which waters should be covered under the Clean Water Act. Various presidents and courts have tried to answer this question over the years, but the last major development came in 2006, and that year, the Supreme Court issued a ruling that established the Significant Nexus Test. Under this test, a body of water is considered waters of the United States. 
if it constitutes a significant nexus to waters that are either navigable or could reasonably be made so. Everyone agrees that this standard is vague and unworkable, but it maintained the EPA's ability to protect wetlands that did not connect on the surface to a navigable body of water. Most believe that the court could do away with the significant nexus test, but no one was quite sure what they'd replace it with. Now, we have our answer. In a 5-4 majority decision, the court ruled that wetlands are only protected by the Clean Water Act if they have a continuous surface connection with a larger navigable body of water that makes it, quote, difficult to determine where the water ends and the wetland begins. In other words, even if a wetland is separated from a navigable waterway by a man-made structure, it wouldn't count as waters of the United States. Justices Alito, Thomas, Roberts, Gorsuch, and Barrett voted with the majority while Justices Kavanaugh, Kagan, Sotomayor, and Jackson constituted the minority. It's unclear right now to what extent this ruling will impact hunters and anglers, but I think it's safe to say it won't be good. By some estimates, this new definition would eliminate Clean Water Act protection for over half of our nation's wetlands and 18% of the nation's streams. That amounts to about 20 million acres of wetlands without federal protection. Now, here's an interesting insight from a duck hunting buddy of mine down in Arkansas, who was nice enough to write in and point out that a lot of the dike, levee, weir, pump situations that they use, not this guy specifically, but a lot of duck hunting operations, farms, etc., in that neck of the woods have been hesitant to develop more waterfowl habitat by flooding timber, field edges, etc., because they didn't want to create an adjoining waterway to a navigable waterway that could then be considered, in theory, water under federal jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act, or considered, you know, waters of the United States. So with this new interpretation of waters of the United States, those farmers in those areas who have the inclination to create more wetland habitat will be able to do so without uh, the idea that somebody's going to come knock on their door and say, uh, hey, I got to tell you what I'm going to do with your private property. Peach, got it? Good. Anyway, what I think about is driving through like North and South Dakota, where you see a lot of active farm operations out there laying drain tile to drain these intermittent wetlands which are, of course, incredibly, incredibly vital to all sorts of migrating birds, but not to mention our native upland birds and, you know, deer and antelope species as well. So hunters and anglers understand how important these habitats are. Ducks, geese, fish, and a host of other animals and plants. A 2018 poll conducted by the TRCP found that 92% of sportsmen and women want the federal government to strengthen or maintain current standards for clean water protections, and 93% believe that the Clean Water Act has been a positive thing for our country. We'll continue tracking this story as it progresses. The Biden administration just issued a new rule in January that clarified which wetlands are federally protected, but because fresh case law trumps an administrative rule, they'll have to go back to the drawing board. I imagine they'll try to write that rule to maximize wetland protection under this new standard, but I'm not sure how far they'll be able to go. States will also continue to maintain permitting processes for construction on wetlands, but obviously those standards will differ significantly from state to state. 
for now. I think we should renew our efforts to conserve the wetlands we have left, get in touch with your local chapter of Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, Trout Unlimited, and see how you can help. You may not be able to influence a Supreme Court decision, but you can pick up trash down at the local lake. Those habitat improvement projects and fundraising efforts are more important now than ever. If you're not into picking up trash, and, you know, maybe you see your local uh, neighbor there who's out there with the backhoe and they want to dig a big long line and drop some drain tile in, and uh, you could uh, mosey over there and say, hey, what's it worth to you to keep that thing uh, producing waterfowl and uh, invertebrate life and all the things that uh, make nature happen? You could uh, have your own little stewardship project. What do you think of that? Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead and I can't chip in to, you know, lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast. So get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the wellness company picture this okay you wake up you got a scratchy throat you're all congested you got a runny nose you got a cough whatever and you weigh your options like you tough it out get sick take time off work try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks or you open your medical emergency kit you match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away these medical emergency kits not a first aid kit all right it comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues so on hand strong antibiotics for infections of all types plus a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when no waiting to see the doctor no waiting at the pharmacy it's all in there every home should have at least one medical emergency kit order yours online in minutes your kit will be rushed to your door get 15 percent off at twc.com health slash meat eater but you got to use the promo code meat eater that's promo code meat eater okay at twc.health slash meat eater o'reilly auto parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road o'reilly auto parts offer friendly helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs if you're confused about what part you need like what wipers are going to be the best what replacement headlights are going to be the best go into o'reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing 
They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? You need a brake light fixed? You need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Moving on to the crime desk. A Pennsylvania man is going to prison after he accidentally shot his elderly neighbor while trying to kill a deer. But this wasn't your typical case of mistaken identity in the woods. 41-year-old Michael Lloyd had returned from a hunting trip in December of 21 when he stopped in his neighbor's driveway and popped off two rounds from his 45 handgun at a deer. Lloyd missed the deer, but he did hit his 83-year-old neighbor who was standing in the bushes behind the deer. Lloyd stayed at the scene to render aid, which is probably why he's only spending less than two years in jail for reckless endangerment rather than a much longer stint for manslaughter. The elderly neighbor survived, but has been reportedly struggling to recover, as you might imagine. Along with his prison sentence, Lloyd will have his hunting license revoked for five years and will pay $29,000 in restitution. He also apologized multiple times before the sentencing, claimed to have given away all his guns, and says he'll never hunt again. Not that I think he was hunting when the incident occurred. Yellowstone National Park caused a minor firestorm on social media after they posted an image of a man trying to carry a baby bison. That's actually not what got everyone so upset. Park officials explained that after the calf became separated from its herd crossing the Lamar River, the man pulled the calf away from the river and pushed it back onto the road. Park rangers later tried to reunite the calf with its mother, but the mother rejected it, presumably because it had been handled. Some folks were upset at the man for interfering with Yellowstone wildlife, but even more people were upset because park rangers had to euthanize the calf after they were unable to reunite it with its herd. Social media users wondered why Yellowstone did not care for the bison or send it to another facility. Park officials explained that federal and state regulations prohibit the transport of bison out of Yellowstone unless those bison are going to meat processing or scientific research facilities. The park has a quarantine facility, but officials decided that a newborn calf abandoned by its mother was not a good candidate for quarantine, but a great candidate for the smoker. That's a joke, but I mean, that's what I'd do. Come on, park employees. It sounds like the calf wasn't likely to survive no matter what the rangers did, so they killed it and left its body on the landscape because, quote, National Parks Preserve Natural Processes. The man who one of you pointed out looks exactly like Mike Ehrmantraut from the TV show Breaking Bad has been identified as Clifford Walters of Hawaii. He pleaded guilty to one count of feeding, touching, teasing, frightening, or intentionally disturbing wildlife. The U.S. Attorney's Office for Wyoming said he was ordered to pay around 1000 bucks in a fine and payment to the Parks Wildlife Fund. Pennsylvania game wardens busted six individuals last week for allegedly poaching more than 100 white-tailed deer over the last six months in what officials are calling a complete disregard for our wildlife resources. These six yahoos left most of those deer to rot after killing them last fall and winter. Three of the individuals, Hunter Atherton, Abigail Hoover, and Caillou Patterson, were 20 years old. The other three were juveniles. Witnesses reported dead deer in their yards and fields, and wardens observed the poachers spotlighting deer at night and shooting them with a 22 Magnum rifle. 
When asked, they told wardens that they shot the deer, quote, just for fun. They likely won't be having much more fun for a while. Some of their charges are felonies, carrying a maximum sentence of 36 months in jail and a $15,000 fine. Let's hope the court opts to teach these youngsters a lesson and nip these budding poachers before they blossom. I'd probably get them jobs in a meat processing facility. Up in Washington State, another poacher got busted after hunters reported seeing him on their trail cameras in real time. Thanks to Alex Young for sending us this story. Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife Police reported that they received a call from a hunter who had seen a man with a rifle on his cellular trail cam. The hunter saw a pack of dogs chasing a bear, and then the man walked by about 20 minutes later. A game warden was dispatched to the area, and it wasn't long before she met the 31-year-old suspect walking out of the woods. He at first claimed that he was just exercising his dogs, and he was no longer carrying his rifle. But the warden noticed fresh lacerations on the dogs' faces, and the man soon led wardens to the dead bear, his rifle, and handgun. He will be facing charges for closed-season bear hunting, unlawful use of dogs to pursue bear, hunting while trespassing, and waste of game. The stars lined up on this case, said Captain Dan Chadwick. We were fortunate that this crime was captured by a cellular trail camera that alerted the owner, who then quickly called it in. All the poachers' charges, except hunting while trespassing, are gross misdemeanors punishable by up to one year in jail and up to a $5,000 fine plus a $2,000 criminal wildlife penalty. A Colorado man spent three days in jail and was forced to pay over $1,000 in fines and court costs after he released a bobcat from a trap. Back in November, 40-year-old Adam Reutsch posted on his Facebook page that he had released a bobcat from a leg hold trap and had been injured in the process, according to the news outlet Sweetwater Now. The Facebook post showed Reutsch with cuts to his arm and face and included a photo of the bobcat. The man deleted the post, but not before someone notified officials. The game warden visited the trap site later that day and found evidence that Reutsch had been at the scene. Even though the man pleaded no contest to unlawful release of a fur bearer from a trap, he still maintains the cat attacked him first. He said, quote, This cat jumped on me and chewed me up pretty good. It took everything I had to control, this bobcat. During this process, I was able to free the cat from the trap as I really did not know what else to do in the situation. Along with probation and fines, Reutsch was also ordered not to go within 500 yards of any legally set traps. In Texas, a duck hunter was given multiple citations and warnings after game wardens found 18 whole duck carcasses in the dumpster at his mobile home park. An employee at the park notified wardens about the ducks, hats off to that employee, and when confronted, the hunter admitted throwing them in the trash. He explained that he had accepted the ducks from two other hunters after attending a guided hunt, he threw those ducks in the bed of his truck and drove somewhere else for another hunt the next day. He said he no longer felt like cleaning the ducks when he returned home, so he threw them in the dumpster. No longer felt like it, officer. In a first-of-its-kind lawsuit, the Kentucky Department of Fish Wildlife is suing a hunter for illegally importing a deer head from Wisconsin. The hunter, Nicholas Berenger, already admitted to bringing a deer head back from Wisconsin in violation of Kentucky law and he paid the $50 fine in addition to court fees. But for the first time ever, the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife is bringing a civil suit seeking nearly $1,900 in damages. That amount represents the department's costs of investigation, testing, prosecution, and disposal of the infected carcass parts. Behringer legally checked his eight-point buck in accordance with Wisconsin's regulations, according to a Kentucky DFW press release. 
He then brought the intact head of the deer into Kentucky for taxidermy in violation of Kentucky's prohibition on the importation of deer carcasses or high-risk parts having tissue potentially infected with chronic wasting disease. The deer tested positive for CWD and still contained the brain and spinal cord, but it remained frozen, so posed no risk of spreading CWD into Kentucky. The Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife was seeking the public's help identifying a woman who brought a baby raccoon into a Petco in the city of Auburn. The woman brought the raccoon into the store trying to get its nails trimmed, and multiple store patrons handled the raccoon. Some even kissed it. The Maine Wildlife Department later posted an update on its Facebook page that the raccoon had been located and did not test positive for rabies. No word on whether the woman is facing charges or penalties. And moving on to the latest greatest story, the public land desk. A federal judge in Wyoming ruled last week that public land users who corner cross are immune from civil liability. This isn't the end of the Wyoming corner crossing case, but it's a big step in the right direction and a huge win for public land hunters and anglers. If you haven't been following this story, here's a quick recap. In 2020 and 2021, a group of hunters from Missouri were going elk hunting and mule deer hunting near Elk Mountain in southeast Wyoming. The public parcels that they were hunting were mixed in with private land in a checkerboard pattern. Instead of walking across private land to reach public, these hunters used a ladder to climb from one public block to another at the corner where those blocks meet. Now, I have to say they only used a ladder in order to completely not touch the property of the landowner as one of the landowner's agents had put two T-posts and a length of chain at that corner as a deterrent from this legal public access. But even though these guys were clearly doing their best to avoid trespassing, that wasn't enough for landowner Fred Eshelman. He pressed charges against the hunters, and when a court found them not guilty of criminal trespass, he sued in federal civil court. He claimed the hunters had damaged his property's value to the tune of $7 million, and the case was presented before Chief U.S. District Judge Scott Scavdahl. Eshelman argued that even though the hunters had not touched his property, they still trespassed into his property's airspace. The hunters argued that Eshelman violated the Unlawful Enclosures Act, which prohibits anyone from restricting access to public land. The judge issued a resounding opinion in favor of the hunters, quote, the court finds that where a person corner crosses on foot within the checkerboard pattern from public land to public land without touching the surface of private land and without damaging private property, there is no liability for trespass. The judge relied heavily on a 1914 case known as McKay v. Uinta Development Company, In that case, a federal court ruled that a sheep farmer could move his herd across private land to access public parcels in southern Wyoming. That court found that individuals, quote, possess a reasonable way of passage over the unenclosed tract of land without being guilty of trespass. To answer Eshelman's argument about airspace, the judge cited another 1974 case from the Tenth Circuit Court. In that case, the court ruled that for someone to trespass into a property's airspace, they had to, in some other way, damage the property or interfere with the use of that property. Furthermore, the Wyoming legislature just passed a law this year prohibiting hunters from, quote, traveling through private property to access public land. But that law clarified traveling through. Traveling through required physically touching the surface of private property and so would not have applied 
to these hunters or hunters who cross at the corners. Taking all these things together, the judge came to the common sense conclusion that the hunters have just as much right to the airspace above those corners as Eshelman does. This is a good ruling, but it's not the end of the story. For one thing, it doesn't make corner crossing legal across the country. In fact, it may not even make corner crossing legal in every situation in Wyoming. We spoke with Dave Wilms, who you may remember from episode 303 of the Meat Eater podcast where we covered this case. Wilms is an attorney, hunter, senior director for Western Wildlife at the National Wildlife Federation, and former policy advisor to the governor of Wyoming. He explained that while the judge clearly removed civil liability from corner crossers in the state, the judge seemed to limit his decision to land laid out in a checkerboard pattern. This pattern emerged as a result of the westward expansion of the railroad, and the judge only references this type of land in his decision. Here's Wilms. I'm not actually sure that it would suggest that you're open to corner crossing anywhere in Wyoming. That's not crystal clear to me when I read the opinion. In fact, it seems like it's fairly narrowly tailored to just the railroad checkerboard. The judge didn't specifically exclude non-checkerboard land, but Wilms points out that this decision leaves the point open for interpretation. The decision may also not apply to other criminal cases. The new Wyoming law I mentioned earlier likely protects corner crossers on all types of landlocked land, but if the legislature changes that statute, it's unclear whether this decision could save them from criminal trespass charges. Here's the bottom line, with the caveat that I'm not a lawyer and this is not legal advice. If you live in Wyoming, corner crossing is more legal than it was two years ago, but you still might find yourself dealing with trespass charges. If you live in any other state, you'll have to check with your state's laws. The only thing that can make corner crossing legal across the country is a Supreme Court decision or an act of Congress, which is a long way from happening. It's more likely that each state addresses this issue based on its own political climate in the state legislature. Here's Wilms again. I've always thought one of the outgrowths of this case, regardless of how it played out, is that depending on what state you're in and the politics of that state, you might wind up with a different answer in a different state. But the states may step in and say, you know, we need to address this. So, as per usual, the answer is get involved and stay involved. If you'd like to access landlocked public land via corner crossing, get in touch with your state legislators. Tell them you want them to sponsor a bill clarifying the legality of corner crossing in your state and that you'll be watching to make sure they follow through. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. If you're way behind on those yard chores, you may want to check out www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. Go down there. Tell them your issues, your challenges that you're facing in your own back 40, and they're going to get you set up with what you need, and they're not going to try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. 
Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. 